0: both dominance and submissives have to surrender. And really surrender is used as the cessation of resistance. When we stop resisting who we are, what we want, what we hunger for, when we give ourselves over so deeply to the experiential narrative, it becomes a beautiful thing because we don't have to speak meaning of it. We don't have to intellectualize. We can experience Surrender is the thing that just says, just try it. We'll process later. Let's have the experience.
1: I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Hmm. We've talked a lot about dominance and submission on this show. Most of the dominance and submission that we've spoken about has been in the context of Jordan and I's relationship. We've had a handful of educators on the subject come on and and have candid conversations. Those of you listening, you're familiar with Kimmy Inch, who's been on the show multiple times, and her partner Casey, who run Kink and Eros. We've had a mentor in the past, Omra Pani, come on to the show and talk about DS. and It's been a while since I've had some unique and new perspectives floating into the show. And, you know, with regards to Jordan and I, my husband, to have conversations about how we're navigating learning and we're navigating leaning into and we're navigating the fact that I knew I was pretty kinky before we got together. And I still said yes to dating, getting engaged to and marrying this very vanilla man. (laughs) And so we you know, navigating our trials and tribulations and our sexual development journey, not just navigating it on our own, but navigating it publicly on social media and in your ear holes here on the podcast. I know that all of you listening, whether this is your first episode that you're listening into, or you've been around for a while, you know, we're very curious about the general subject of dominance and submission, the general understanding of masculinity and femininity or masculine essence or feminine essence. And I was just telling today's guest that I couldn't remember exactly how he got put onto my radar, but I knew that immediately whenever I saw him, I was impressed by the way that he wrote, composed himself, spoke about the subject. I thought it's about time we inject some new energy into the concept and the ideas of Yes, Orpheus. Thank you so much for coming onto the show and being willing to share your wisdom and your life's work with all of us.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Mm.
1: So (laughs) I'm ready to jump right on in. Uh, You know, I I generally speak about masculine and feminine on the show just to give people an idea of the energy that I'm speaking about. And it's very rare that I have someone on the show that is a man that's communicating about this subject. Mm. And so I would love to jump right on in on. What these energies mean to you, and how would you define a healthy version of them, and maybe even a shadowed version of them?
0: Mm, wow, you went for the big stuff right off the bat. <laughs> no warm up, no preamble, no nothing. Okay, I see. You know,
1: I figure your story's gonna come out as we ask questions here. I don't. doubt. I got you. it.
0: Yeah, masculine and feminine. For me, they're quintessential energies that exist in every human body, right? It's a polarity, a juxtaposition of authentic energies that are seeking expression at every moment in time, right? But they have nothing to do with bodies. They have nothing to do with physical forms or shapes. They're archetypal narratives that have been instinctually ingrained in us since the dawn of time. But the term masculinity as it pertains to a society has been detrimental when it's in patriarchal form. Okay. So what does that mean? Masculinity in my opinion is defined as the traits that society views as beneficial to it and what it finds in its male-bodied individuals, right? So things like competitiveness, assertiveness, aggression, are all qualities that uh, our Western world finds attractive, quote unquote, about male bodied individuals. And the more they display these traits, the more they feel that these, they are masculine. Right. But as we said before, there's a difference between energy and trait. Right. So to me, the healthy masculine is where in many forms embodied is where the masculine shows up in the place it's opposed to. Let's say on the battlefield, having competitiveness, you know, on a football field, being competitive, being aggressive, being assertive, being dominant. It works. Mm-hmm. In a bedroom with your children, you know, when your family, maybe not so much, right? See, it's not that any traits are bad. It's just that when they become the default programming for every situation it becomes a problem right now i'll say something that's probably a little controversial feminine and femininity two different things right the feminine archetype has been around, has existed since the dawn of time right but the concept of femininity in and of itself is a very divisive term because it was a term that was defined by male body Individuals forged within the crucible of, of uh, patriarchy, and really dominated by the male gaze throughout history, all the things and all the attributes that we would say are typically artifices of femininity were created by men: the brasier, high heels, corsets, so on and so forth. You know what I mean? All the things, the, the trends, the fashions were all created by men to kind of force conformity onto female-bodied individuals. So, for me, dominance is really breaking out of the system. It's getting out of the matrix, you know, really just saying, "Hey, you know what? I don't need your archetypal patterns or your constructs. You know, I'm going to express through my nature who I am as a unique, autonomous individual who has the ability to forge his own way. So maybe I was a little more convoluted of a statement, but we had to go there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's exactly you brought us
0: to this place. Yeah,
1: I did. And I knew, I knew what I was doing here, you know? Um, yeah. And I wanted to, yeah, it's a little bit strategy here. I knew that the way that you speak is to me, when I hear it, it's wow. That makes a lot of sense. And it's also somewhat poetic and mm. it can feel the conviction or can feel the truth. in whenever you, whenever you start to speak and I, You know, as a podcaster, I know that the first five to seven minutes of a show are really important. (laughs) And sometimes people, and I've done this for many, you know, over many years. We're fluffing for the first seven to fifteen minutes, and I'm like, I just want to give them something juicy right away, and right. and so for me, yeah, now it's like kind of lubing up in reverse. Um, so <laughs> so <laughs> because I think mm-hmm. when you know people hear that explanation of masculine, feminine energies, or masculine and masculinity and femininity, which there are nuances in the oh. conversations, and it's a big subject. I think people hearing you share on it can tell you are passionate about it and you're well-researched in it. And so now I'd like to kind of backtrack for a second. How did you become so passionate and so knowledgeable about these subjects? And I'm sure that the story goes very unfolding, like one thing, passion becoming, you know, passion on a subject (laughs) unfolded. And then all of a sudden, aha, there's another thing and aha, you know, now any pretty much big event that happens in the U S and I would imagine some places in the world too, that has anything to do with DS, we can maybe count on your name to be on the schedule (laughs) 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 on the programming schedule.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, what was my link into this? You know, when I found this, I was the outsider, you know, I was a very large black man in the goth club and we were looking for a way to get back on stage. I was a performer before this. I did rap music and you know my wife was a uh, actress and we stopped doing it to do kids and have kids and you know create a family but we wanted to perform and this was a great way for us to kind of try something new. But because we were different everybody was looking for a different reason for us to be there cuz we couldn't be there for the same reason and so I had to explore my own truth, you know, and then I had to create my own realities and research and be the most educated that I could be in that environment, you know, and then people want to hear more perspectives because I was the oddity. I stood out, you know, what are you doing here? How did you get here? Why are you here? What is your point of view? I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm a nerd. So I just researched everything. And one thing led to another, like you said, it started performing on stage as a professional dominant Moved into doing adult videos with kink.com and Dungeon Core and all these other companies. And then started producing my own products, started doing, you know, uh, got AVN nominations, started doing podcasts and shows. And, you know, one thing just kind of led and bled into another. And each time they want more information, each time you become more of an authority, you need more knowledge. I, I subscribe to creativity and consent and knowledge. Like those are the basic essential thing that any dom needs. And so I'm always trying to improve my knowledge base, right? And also, when people look at you as an authority, you have a responsibility to step into that space for them, to give, provide them the the accurate knowledge, not just your personal opinion, but really have it rooted in research, you know, the current understandings of the moment. But not only what we understand today, but what humanity has always known. Most of the time, what we're doing is we're going on contemporary narrative, but there has been so much that's been lost to history from Hindu texts, comedic uh, texts, Zen Buddhism, you know, Arab, you know, the Quran, uh, the Bible. I, I look at all those things to kind of get our ideas of what dominance and submission is, what obedience is, what servant means, you know what I mean? Because it's all shoved into our kind of Abrahamic understanding of our Western world. Right. So I research everything. I look at everything. Young, Freud, Aristotle, Socrates, you know, I'm constantly reading.
1: Did you always have a passion on the subject or is it something that kind of just happened or unfolded? And then you were like, I think there's something to this.
0: I think my passions my whole life brought me to this place. You know, I saw when I was about five years old. About no, I was about. Eight or nine years old, I found my father's stash of Playboy books. And while I didn't understand what it was, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I had no idea. I was going to do whatever that was, whatever that field was, was going to be me. But it became kind of this kind of coincidental interlocking of things, of passions. You know, doing martial arts helped me with throwing floggers, throwing whips. You know, doing weapons training helped me with that. You know, being very growing up in my neighborhood, maybe assertive, tough, you know what I mean? But also having a family that encouraged reading also brought me to this place. And then being poly was literally the thing, the conduit by which I access kink. So it kind of just all interlocked together. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, of course. And I'm, I'm thinking about my own relationship, of course, and I'm sure that there's so many people that are listening now that are finding what little pieces of your story they can relate to or relate with, even though your story might be way more colorful than maybe (laughs) theirs is, or like maybe they're on that path too, but they're just, you know, you know, however many years previous on the journey. Um, But I think I I think about mine and I think about how each little thing unlocks and the aha that arises. So I'm also curious about your marriage and how, how that, wound up, you know, these passions, if you knew already at even five years old opening playboy that I want to do something that I don't know what this is about, but I want to do something here. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever you got into your relationship and into your marriage, how did that, was that a celebrated thing? Is that something that had to be a conversation, you know, a million and three conversations later, here we are.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what, my, my partner, my wife, my sub, my slave, she is, uh, She's kind of a sky's blue, water's wet kind of person. She doesn't overthink anything. She's kind of just an in the moment. And if that's she's like, oh, that's what we're doing. OK, that's fine. Uh, you're going to we're doing cake now. You're going to need somebody. To, OK, I'll volunteer. You know, you want to learn how to flog? I'll, I'll volunteer my body. You want to be tied? I'll volunteer my body. You know, you want to you know, she's just that type of person. Like for her partner, she goes hard in the paint. Actually, when we became poly, we didn't even know what Polly was. We just started doing it. And we thought we were the only people in the world who were doing it, you know? And so, but she was like, look, I trust you. Let's move forward. You know, we, we started doing King. She's like, look, I trust you. Let's move forward. You know, and to me, this is really kind of an understanding of submission before we even knew what that was. You know, she was already displaying the traits. It's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, it was like what came first, submission or her behavior? You know, and for me, she was capable of demonstrating a level of submission that I didn't understand at that time. When I came into kink, I started developing language for the attributes that she already had. Right. I started developing language for my psychology and understanding who I was on a deeper level. Right. Once I started getting a better understanding, I started to see my life history different. Right. Because one of the things that you'll notice, I think, with most kinksters is when you wind up in a kinky situation, you're not uncomfortable. Right. And the question becomes is, why am I not uncomfortable? (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, like there's people being flogged and whipped here. Someone's on fire. You know, there's (laughs) there's balls being busted here. And I'm like, okay, you know, uh, I have no problem with any of this. Right. So to me, it's really important for me to kind of understand that surrender happens on both sides of the slash. Right. Both dominance and submissives have to surrender. Right. And really, surrender is used as the cessation of resistance. When we stop resisting who we are, what we want. What we hunger for, what we crave for, when we give ourselves over so deeply to the experiential narrative, it becomes a beautiful thing because we don't have to speak meaning of it. We don't have to intellectualize. We can experience, right? Surrender is the thing that just says, just taste it. Just try it. We'll think about it later. We'll process later. Let's have the experience. Right. So for me, this is kind of the interlocking of it. We just tried it and we didn't talk about it. We just didn't dialogue. We needed a frame of reference to really start working and we got it. And then we started going from there.
1: When you had this frame of reference and you started realizing that there were other people that had proclivities or interests like you did in your marriage and kind of just figuring it out. What was it like finding community for the first time?
0: Oh, it was beautiful. Here's the thing. And, you know, I, <laughs> I think this, first of all, I'm saying this to a generation who's not going to understand my generation. Yeah. You know, I was a poly person who had two partners who were both female. I was the only male. In this day and age, that's like taboo. You know what I mean? Like, you don't do that. That's like, I don't know. It's crazy. So when I showed up at a club, for the first time, the first dungeon I went to, I saw men with multiple women and it was normal. It was just like what they did. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying they were all poly, but they were definitely dominant to have multiple female subs. And I was like, I found my home. Like, I found people who were living like me back where I came from. They're like, oh, you're a pimp. And I'm like, I'm not a pimp. Everybody knows about everybody. There's no money exchange. We're all raising our kids together. Like, this is a very loving family, and they couldn't understand it. When I walked into it, everybody's like, oh, hey, are these your subs? Yeah, oh, nice to meet you. Gave them humanity, gave them personage, right? And I wanted to see them respected and not treat it like a means to an end or a profit margin, right? So when we came into that space, it was just, I was just so happy for them to see other people living like us. You know, it wasn't really about me. It was really just, this is a safe space for you to exist, to meet other people who are living like us. And it was a beautiful thing. I got really emotional when that happened.
1: That's yeah. really sweet. I can imagine, you know, with my millennial brain, I can paint this picture.
0: You <laughs> know, yeah,
1: di- different generation for sure. And close enough that I can feel it when you say it.
0: mm mm-hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Looking to spice up your toy box? Yoni Pleasure Palace is still at the very top of my list for high quality sexual and sensual products. Every time I go to their website, I am more and more impressed by their perfectly curated items. My husband, Jordan, and I recently received a brand new waterproof blanket that is in my favorite color, violet purple. We also received a stainless steel and rose quartz anal plug that is so sleek and sexy. Jordan loves when we use this. My personal favorite lube for self-pleasure is Yoni Elixir. It smells so light and delicious and is made with rose hip seed and jojoba oil. Literally every item I have from YPP becomes a favorite. I've given a cervix serpent to a friend for her birthday Yoni elixir as mother's blessings gifts for my soon to be mama friends to massage their vulvas and vaginal walls in preparation for birth and to encourage them to invite more pleasure into that process. I've traveled all over the world with my YPP waterproof blankets, and I consistently reach for my gorgeous glass and crystal toys for self-pleasure practices. It is an absolute dream to be working with a brand I was already so head over heels in love with. Should you wish to add Yoni Pleasure Palace to your personal collection or to help a significant other add to their collection, check out the links in the show notes to receive special discounts on your items. So going into that space and navigating and exploring more, I imagine that throughout that process, you're gathering more information as you went. And then that, that then, you know, paints the picture of where you are today in a position of oftentimes teaching on some of these subjects. What were some of the notables on your journey that really stood out? And that, you know, I'm sure I don't even need to give you examples. You've got them.
0: (laughs) Wait, wait, give me a little more frame of reference. Notable instances? Yeah,
1: yeah. Like the first time maybe playing with rope or the first time Mm -hmm. um, flogging or spanking in public or, you know, the notable things on the journey that really stood out that had you lean into further going in the direction of wanting to teach on this subject.
0: You know, when I <laughs> when we came up you had to be mentored for a year before you could perform on stage because, you know, back then people would sue you if you messed somebody up, you slipped a disc or you hurt somebody, they would sue the club. And so the club really made sure that whoever came up was either vouched for or they were mentored. And I have five different mentors. But the one that stands out for me the most is we had this thing called the sub couch where all the subs were placed after we did the scene and the new dominance kind of had to sit on the sub couch. It was kind of a humbling kind of thing. But the subs gave me such an education, you know. I would sit there and I'd watch the other dominants do their scene. And, you know, the subs would look at me, never do that to anyone. You know, what I mean? Like they don't understand what's happening. You, I don't want you doing that to anyone. And, you know, to learn and have so many subs teach me what it was like to understand from the bottom. That was one of the most revelatory moments, you know, that some things, nothing is more important than the sub. Dominant connection, not the performance, not the audience, not the club, not the venue. In many cases, not your own desires, right? You're a facilitator of an experience when you're a professional, right? It's really about them and connecting with them and understanding the type of connection that they want. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's psychological. Sometimes it's deeply emotional, right? no two people connect in the same way for the same duration at the same time. Right. That was one. When I understood that I could start tuning out a whole audience, a whole club, the sounds, the lights, the flickering, right. And tune into the person and treat them as two human beings having a very human experience. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I started getting over the, ideas of dominance and submission and the ducks of positions and just wanted to be who do I want to be with you right now who do you need me to be how should I show up for you in this moment right and to me asking the question is essential because the root word of question is quest you know it's a journey where do you want to go how do you want to get there you know Where is there? What do you expect to find? You know, and you do it through touch and you do it through care and you do it through compassion, you do it through sensuality, you do it through sexuality, you do it through eroticism, but it's always an energetic question, you know what I mean? And then that way, if I can get them to go on the journey with me as a partner, as a co-creator, as a collaborator that I think it's, it's worthwhile. It's worth all the risk and all the chance and all the things to try and find whatever it is that they're looking for.
1: Really special. So what I heard, I mean, I heard many things in what you just shared, but what I heard was when you learned to sub, <laughs> that was a note, a very, very notable moment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay, I'm told. sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, I always <laughs> find
1: that entertaining. You know, when, I'm in a room of people who this is all very new subject matter and the men are so, and it's typically like this kind of heteronormative situation and the men are like, yeah, I'm here to learn how to be a dominant. And then, uh, I'm like, okay, we'll get on your knees and you know, like, here's, <laughs> here's the next few things. And like, whoa, whoa, I'm here to learn how to be a dominant. We're like, yeah, you're going to understand perspective.
0: So like, as you're sharing that,
1: I'm like, yep, yep. I mean, my preference is in that submissive role too. And I've learned so much about myself from trading positions and Mm. realizing that there's way more going on internally and inside than I was even really aware of until I attempt to, like you said, go on a journey with someone and who I am in that journey gets to change instead of this, like, kind of, you know, I, I consider myself, I've come out of the box that I grew up in and that my world, my South Louisiana Catholic upbringing provided me. And then I climbed out of that box and I essentially started climbing. I made a new box and I just climbed in that one, you know, but, Mm -hmm. but I constructed it, but I didn't realize that I I was then still limiting myself. So this, this, Mm -hmm. what I think is, is beautiful in how you're describing this is that there's, it's a connection between people and this aspect of sexuality, sensuality, eroticism. It's you're connecting with another human in this very unique kind of way. And it's, who do I want to be with you? What roles and positions are we leaning into? And you're saying surrendering into. You know, so many people. I'm pointing out to hear that so many people hear DS or hear kink P D S M or whatever, and they think a few different buckets. And I'm sure that you've heard these over the years. You know that it's supposed to be this someone's getting hurt, and it's about aggression, or you know the whole whips and chains and leather and all of that, which is a fun component for a lot of people. But it's not all about dungeons necessarily. And then some people, you know, that are just starting to learn the subject matter are. I think they look at it as like, a, it's boxes to check. I'm supposed to do this thing and this thing and then this thing. And that's how I give a good experience. Or this is how I be a dom or this is how I be a sub. And they kind of try to follow this almost like method or this plan in order to create it. And maybe that, you know, serves a purpose in a sense if they're just starting to learn the info. But mm-hmm. what you're highlighting is that it's significantly more like there's so, so, so much more available. Mm -hmm. And for a person to be able to learn about who they are as a human being and their connection to God or spirituality, like there's way more than I'm going to lead this person through an experience or I'm going to give you some impact play, or we're going to choose a few toys, or I'm going to boss you around and you're going to, you know, you're going to listen to me. Like there's way more available (laughs) than what I just laid out.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, I I agree. I like to, there's so many things that you said there that I want to that I like to elaborate on, but it's like, uh, I think I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, I think you're not doing kink if you're saying supposed to, right? If you got an attachment to a preconceived idea as to how this is going to go, then you're not doing kink. You're doing essentially a formatted or scripted you know, version of Vanilla right? And, you know, I think for people who are brand new, they probably should have a better understanding of what kink is. For me, kink is any deviation from what you feel is normal sexual behavior. Again, kink is any deviation from what you feel is normal sexual behavior. Vanilla is the strict adherence to a behavior that doesn't come from you authentically, right? So, One of the things that I like to do is a shadow assessment, right? With all my clients. And and, would you like to do a shadow assessment?
1: Are you asking me? Yeah. Right now?
0: Yeah. We'll do it quick.
1: I'm like, I don't know what it is, but I'm into it. (laughs)
0: Let's do it. So one of the things I like to do with my clients is just to kind of find out where they are on the spectrum before we start working. Right. And I say, so here's the first question and your audience can follow along. What would you consider normal sexual behavior? Give me three things. Mm. I usually ask for eight, but give me yeah. three things that you think every mom and pop does around the world.
1: Normal sexual behavior. Yes. So sex itself, missionary. Okay. Straightforward. Uh-huh. Very sexual kind of energy to it. Like A leads to B leads to C. We're okay. kissing, or are clothes off, we're sex.
0: Okay, great. Now, give me three things that you do that you wouldn't consider normal sexual behavior.
1: We have a lot of anal poise. so butt mm-hmm. plugs and all kinds of variations of butt plugs and prostate massages and all, all that. Right. Of course, the prostate massages are not mine. <laughs> well, it depends. But oh, prostate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like that, I would say probably is not so normal at the to the degree mm-hmm. that I'm having conversations with people about how they don't have those things.
0: I would imagine right. that's
1: not normal. Not normal. You know, my partner and I, when we, we have at least one or two kind of more produced date nights that we go stay in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And because I am more energetic and kinky, he likes to, but he, that's like language he's not so familiar with. Like he's learning it. He's steadily absorbing and learning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we play to the degree that we can with psychological. Kind of mm-hmm. kink. And so he will give me instructions and so we'll be at dinner and he'll instruct me to go to the bathroom and do things and come back. And I can only come back whenever this thing, insert this thing is done. And so there's like challenges in that. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're being very respectful and making sure we're doing that in a way that my disclaimer is that no one can see me and I'm not putting that upon anybody. Like it's all very consent oriented and all that. So I would say that's the thing. And we also play with others occasionally. So really nice. just depends. We go to play parties. We're into creating kinky scenes. We're into some impact play. We have a set of floggers. So I'm giving you like more than three things, but
0: it's okay. It's yeah. okay. I, yeah. I love it. So what is there? Is there something that you want to do that you haven't done? Right? That really turns you on. You wanna do it, it turns you on, it it, but you haven't done it yet. Yeah, what is that? It
1: makes thing? Jordan squirm. <laughs> okay i mean that's just you know we have the conversation in tandem of it's okay and safe and feels good for playing with other women but when i bring up the subject of playing with other men that's just a conversation that's going to take a little bit more time to massage
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: and loosen up and tell them i'm not attached to it i could live my whole life and not have it and it's like one of my top fantasies is to have a male male female threesome or more some many men and Myself, and that's more like it was like my very first erotic novel I read. I think I was mm. like eighteen or nineteen, and that was the scene. It was a double pitch. Pen- oh, it wow. led to the end of it was like double penetration at the end, and they both loved her so much, and it was like this crescendo moment. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's why that this is like basically just been at the top of my fantasy list ever since because it's. I mean i I didn't even know books were written like that, and it was just it, mm. it was so. And I I briefly touched on how I grew up, so
0: yeah it's nice
1: yeah so that's like a fantasy at some point i want to do and i don't know if the double penetration parts are, you know there's many steps on the way to that, right. that i would also be really happy with if i <laughs> if i count that as a 10 and reading the book at 19 was a one i'm down to like just get up to like the three the four the five on the way there and i'd still be really happy
0: last part Three yep. reasons why you are not engaging in that behavior that you want.
1: Well, I, I engage in the fantasy of it at times, but not the actual thing because I think it's just a matter of, I think it's a matter of my partner and I getting in the right, you know. It just he takes time, and I respect that. Like his process, and that's going to take time, and I respect that. And he is not he's not fully closed to it; he's open. So we continue having the million and one conversations that are necessary in order to get to that thing actually being a possibility. So I think that is one of the main reasons. And also then choosing a person, like having that conversation of who would you choose that you would feel comfortable with and what circumstances need to be present in order for that to be okay. Do we just need Mm -hmm. to go on a trip and we never see the person again? and Or is it you want it to be so respectful that you actually know the person very well you know, or is it a sharing kind of scenario because you respect and you love that person, or is it we need to never see them again? So
0: I see yeah. why you have a podcast. Oh, why? Because <laughs> you, oh. you are a very good, you are a good talker, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one. I heard two in there. Give me one last reason as to why you're not engaging in that behavior. Just one last one.
1: One last reason why I'm not engaging in that behavior. The
0: behavior that you want to engage. in.
1: Mm. My words want to start with because I'm afraid of dot, dot, dot.
0: That's good enough. Yeah. The reason I give a shadow assessment is because it helps my clients better understand that. Basically, if you have an idea of what normal sexual behavior is, right, you didn't come up with it. No one told you it. It's just kind of indoctrination. That's what vanilla is. Mm-hmm. If you have an idea of what normal sexual behavior is, you have an idea of what not normal sexual behavior is. And that's usually called kink, right? Any deviation from what you feel is normal sexual behavior. And we're already engaging in it. It may not be whips and chains and floggers, but we have an entry level into kink. Everybody does. If you or your listener said, oh, there is something that I feel deviates from the norm, that's kink. You're already doing it. You're already engaging in it. But there's another level too, the shadow. The thing that you want to do, that you fantasize about, that you hunger about is your shadow. Usually because we haven't touched it, engaged with it, interacted with it, haven't felt it. We don't have integration around. And so that place is going to lack language, action, body language, like mannerisms. And it won't be able to be packaged in a way that we can tell our partners. And so for me, the biggest part of this is really helping my clients develop what I call language, attire, mannerisms, and presentation, a total integration so that they can start talking coherently with their partners about this thing. And it's usually the problem that they're having, the reason they're not engaging in it. They're like, oh, we're talking about it, but we need to better flush out the story, right? So- The other thing is, what actions do we take to get to that point, right? Integration, right? What is the proper etiquette for engaging in that behavior? What are are the manners that we should have, right? And then how do we put it together in a way that works for both of us? That's a really simple, straightforward process, right? And then... The last category is our personal myth, the stories that we tell ourselves about why we're not engaging in the thing that we desire, right? For me, these are the four quadrants that everybody gets stuck around. Either they're locked into this idea that they have to do it this way, or they're locked into this idea that kink has to be this other way, or they're pushing their fantasies down, or they're so ingratiating the, in the personal myth that they can't see themselves out of it. Right. So for the newbies, these are just a simple step. that They can probably work for themselves. They can do it as a couple, each person doing their own list. Right. And then they can find out where they overlap. It's like, oh, I didn't know you like to do this, too. I didn't know your deviation included that we can have some shared kinks where most of the problem happens, in my opinion, is this kind of idea that we all have to be into all of it and we all have to want to do all of it. I like to say also, align, link, serve the overlap, right? Look, I feel we align here. Let's figure out how we can bring it together and do it in a way that we both like. And we can just do that for right now. And that will lead to other things. That will lead to other things. That will lead to other things. And that way you can do it in a safe way. Saying in a consensual manner, and it can follow a slow, steady pace where you can develop trust. Mm.
1: Yeah, so many people, I think, they go, "I want to do a kinky thing," and they get the idea, and then they think whatever that kinky thing is, they got to jump right to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes mm-hmm. when they get there, they, it's a too much, too fast, too soon kind of thing, or it right. like doesn't quite happen the way they didn't really do like enough of the prep work on a nervous system mm-hmm. level, or even in a physical, energetic kind of level, and so. Then they're like, oh, I, did, I just, I tried it and I don't think it's for me.
0: And what's kinky for me is not kinky for you. We all have to accept that. Yeah. Some people, you know, kinky is, you know, doing it doggy style. You know right. what I mean? like That's right. kinky for them. And we have to honor their kink. Right? We have to honor that. If that's what's kinky for you, that's great. Is there some room to add? What is your shadow? Is there something that you're fantasizing about or thinking about or dialoguing about that we can also engage in? And what would it take for you to us to get to that point? Mm. Right. I think the biggest mistake that people make is this idea that kink runs on trust. It doesn't. Right. It runs on faith, belief in the absence of proof. Mm. Right. You have no idea. You have no proof that's going to go right. You know, you have no proof that's going to be amazing, mind blowing sex. You have no proof that you're going to get hurt. You have no proof that you're going to like it. We have, Faith, we want to believe that this is going to be a fun time for us, right? So if faith is belief in the absence of proof, then what is trust? Trust is my level of comfort with an established pattern of behavior, right? We got to start the pattern somewhere. And you do it once and it goes, great. Oh, okay, I want to do it again. Oh, we did that great we I'm more open and more open and more open and more open because you develop trust. actually, what we're saying is we are getting more comfortable with doing a thing when when a dominant tries to push too fast too far right in the wrong areas, we don't get comfortable and we call that mistrust. Does that make sense?
1: Mm, of course. absolutely
0: right. So for me, I think it's really important that we play in the comfortable areas and then push out on the edges of where people are comfortable. Yeah. Don't just go straight into the shed.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 I've heard it described as the comfort zone and the safety zone. Like mm-hmm. Pushing mm-hmm. out of the comfort zone is edgy and kind of fun. And as soon as you get up to the edge of what feels safe to your body mm-hmm. or I'm pretty sure that was how it was phrased to me very recently. But then, like, once you cross over into like things, don't feel safe, then that's like an opportunity for a trigger to come up and like things to shut down, and you call red,
0: right? And you can, you always have to go with the safety protocols. Yeah. You know, that's why the safe words like the emergency brake in a car, right? It's like I'm the driver as the dominant, and they're the passenger, they're the submissive, right? I say this, if I go too far, too fast, or you get scared or worried in any way, shape, form, or fashion, pull the brake. Everything stops, right? We'll check on you. We'll make sure you're all right. And if you are, and you want to continue, let me know. Put the brake back down. Break back we'll begin time. the journey again, right? That's all red is. The other thing that I like to say too, to kind of take the pressure off of it is, look, this is a journey for both of us. And I say this journey, we're going to search for our red. Let's look for it. If at any point in time or fashion, you find red, like you feel uncomfortable in the slightest way, say red, I'll praise you for it. Right? Let's reward you for it because, you know, we just discovered an edge, a boundary. Right? We just found a place. It's like, okay, that's a future endeavor or maybe a no-go zone, but at least we know. We know the edge of the cliff is right here, and we didn't go off it. We didn't go over it. Right? We go in a different area. You know, this is, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. I'm feeling a little triggered. Let me back up. Oh, thank you for letting me know. Thank you for taking care of yourself. Thank you for protecting yourself. Thank you for protecting protecting me. I appreciate it. What can we do for you? Right? To me, that's really important.
1: And it's so sweet to hear it. Of course, so many people and and I've spoken a little bit about praise kink and I've spoken a little bit about, you know, like I've had general conversations. I I lean more towards in some dynamics with my husband as a little. You know, if mm-hmm. a little was on a spectrum, then, you know, my biological father exited the scene when I was 3, so I didn't have any of the father figure, true father figure, look up to a father figure my whole life. So getting to do it as mm-hmm. an adult is brand new. You know, and when we decide to start our family, he will be my first time hearing daddy and dad mm. in my life,
0: mm.
1: you know, and, mm. it, and it's, it's challenging and so beautiful at the same time. And some aspects of DS and, you know, our listeners have heard me describe this before. Some aspects of DS and some aspects like leaning into more of the daddy, Dom, little girl kind of dynamic has been so incredibly healing and isn't really like, this is my attachment figure. And this is the person that I do have sex with, but what I experience isn't about sex per se. So, you know, I think the, the direction that I'm going with the conversation is the ways people can look at kink as not just, it's not just a thing that you do for fun sex, the healing benefits that are available. I mean, like, What it means for someone who can actually go up to their edges and try things on and be able to even say, red. I'm surrounded by people in my day to day that couldn't say, and just using red as an example, in their life, boundaries or understanding where their actual edge is, where they don't want to cross over, is very hard for them. So, you know, for me, and what I'm describing here, for me, leaning into some aspects of kink, DS has been healing in some ways. And then some in understanding my boundaries, where my no is, has helped me has transcended far beyond play space or a scene or, you know, a sexual kind of context. It's trickled out into the rest of my life. And I'm curious your thoughts and feels on how, you know, choosing to interact with kink or DS or power play. What else is there for people?
0: Wow. (laughs) That's a lot. First of all, thank you for sharing so deeply. I appreciate that. That was a beautiful share. Um, and there's so much I want to talk about, like from the maiden archetype and healing the child, and all those things. But how does King translate into other aspects of your life? I'm gonna do a quote. I'm gonna say, "There's a saying that says everything in the world is about sex, except for sex, because sex is about power." Right? I heard it. Yeah. There's just kind of. We have to understand that when we, every relationship you go into, there is a power dynamic, right? It doesn't matter if it's a, a boss, employee, teacher, student, mother, daughter, father, son. There is a power dynamic at play. The idea of our egalitarianism as a concept works in actuality within the framework of human dynamics. It does not. There's always going to be a 5149, uh, 50 point something, 49 point something, you know what I mean? There's always going to be that thing. So when we step into power dynamics and we understand how to relate to power, we get a great framework because we were not really taught this in detail when we were leaving our home or when we were living in our childhood homes. You know, we just blindly adhered to the structures that were there without acknowledging them. And we went into the world and we still don't acknowledge them. But in this day and age where we're talking about, you have power, you have authority, you're a gatekeeper. What does that mean? What does that mean? Once you're in the framework of a DS dynamic, you really get a better understanding of how to navigate those spaces. You recognize, oh, this person is a little Uh, Oh, this person is a dominant personality. This person has very submissive. And you understand how to step into this. Carl Jung would have said these are archetypal narratives that we're stepping into. We see this person playing the role. Right. And there's a compendium role for you to play. Are you stepping in and playing your role within the framework of the dynamic? Right. If this person is being a subordinate, they need a leader. Are you stepping into a leadership role or are you abdicating your responsibilities to that specific dynamic? Right. Is there a leader in need of a subordinate? Right. Are you stepping in and being the proper subordinate? Can you support them in the way, shape, form or fashion that they need in order to be successful? Right. This is all we're claiming. Right And just like you said, in many cases, d s is not penetrative sex, mm-hmm. right? Intercourse, and there is a difference between sex and intercourse, right? Intercourse means penetration. If sex was intercourse, we would just call it all intercourse, right? Sex is the way with which we satiate our desires, which is why so many things are compared to sex, which is why so many things are sexual, right cheesecake is sex, chocolate is sexual. All these things are sexual, sumptuous. It's because you had a craving, a longing, a hunger for it, and you got exactly what you wanted. And we equate that to being sex. Sex and intercourse are not the same thing. Right? So for me, when you take intercourse out of the question, there's sex. Sex can be you can call it anytime you gratify a desire. Right? But within the business frame, you can also feel it with a sense of accomplishment when you support a business that hits the mark, does the number, there's a feeling. Because if you hungered, long, craved, yearned for it, and you get the gratification and cessation of it, say that sex. So understanding the narrative of power dynamics are really important. The shadow side of it is this. Max Weber says that power is the ability to act in accordance with one's will and or desire. Really simple. This means you have the ability to go after what you want. Right. But it also means if you look at it, those that have the ability, but not the desire, don't have power. Those who have desire and not the ability don't have power. The easiest way it is to unempower a person is to make them feel like they don't have desires or are not worthy of them or that they're nagging or that they shouldn't have it or you're asking for too much. You want too much. It's not really too much. It's that I don't want you to have power. I don't want you to want what I don't want to give. I don't want you to take from me. I don't want you to be more powerful than me because you have the ability to get whatever it is you want. And I want to regulate your desires, manage your desires, right? You can see this happening to any disadvantaged minority around the planet, right? Or we just take away your access. You don't have access or opportunity, right? Understanding power dynamics, you see the framework very different. And a person who feels like they have no power can start developing a sense of power within the framework of King. You can inspire and motivate a person to say, I want from you because I want for myself. I long for hunger, crave. Good. Let's go after it. Let's go get it. I'll support you. I'll be right here. Right? I'll hold your hand. What are your thoughts about
1: it? I think it's beautiful. And absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I wish I had my bell. I have one of my mentors that anytime she likes something, someone says she rings a bell.
0: Get dopamine reward right there. Yeah.
1: She's like, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know, where it's when I'm just not even going to bother saying any of the things, which you know, by the ding of this bell.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And and so many people, like I was saying before, they don't necessarily know that this is what's available should they start leaning into even figuring out or acknowledging what their desires are. We have so many people. It's one of our most common phrases in our business and in our company is that people come to us wanting more from their sex lives. This is their words. They want more from their sex lives, but they don't know what the more is and they don't know how to get it.
0: So what Mm -hmm. they want
1: is more from their life at large. They want to lust for life and be inspired by life. And maybe it feels more easeful or more alive or whatever it is. And so they come to us with the symptom of my sex. I want my sex to be better. Like, okay, Mm. well, in order for us to get there, we're going to start with some really unsexy topics.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, tell me about all these mm-hmm. other
1: areas of your life where maybe you don't feel like you have any power, or maybe you feel like you're over-controlling, or maybe you feel, you know, there's so many different things that could be at play. And it's, well, tell me about your community. Tell me about your support system. Tell me about how, you know, what, 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 how do you interact with your mental health, your spiritual health, all of those things. And and then eventually we start getting to actual sex. The amount of time that I I truly spend sex educating is very small in comparison to all of the rest of what I do. Um, And for a lot of people, even, you know, it, it's like to even ask them the question of what do you desire can be so almost crippling, mm-hmm.
0: you know, what do you mm-hmm. desire?
1: And they can't come up with anything like that's like a deer in a headlight panic. I don't know what to say. And maybe something comes up, but because of what you were mentioning, the vanilla components where they are essentially operating in a certain kind of box, it's almost like they get choked by it. Like they can't yeah. even say a thing that they might feel internally because this other thing is like caught in their throat, in their chest. Like Mm. they, they can't even say it. And so like that before we can even get to making your sex more colorful, we get to go there. And Mm. so, you know, and, and, and I think some people come to us and they're like, I want better sex. And they might have an idea that they want some aspects of kink, but just the general concept of it and what they've been told that it's supposed to mean is very challenging, you know, like they'll, they'll skirt around it and they'll go, I just want to have deeper connected sex. I'm like, what Mm -hmm. do you mean? Mm -hmm. Like you want to look in each other's eyes more. You want to breathe together. You want to lean more into some like tantric sexual practices. Is that, is that really all that we want? And we want, you know, and that's great. There's you know, that's just scratching the surface of that kind of sex that they really want to engage with that, but they, you know, but, what else are you not giving yourself permission to say that you want? Because what you just mm-hmm. described that you want is also a thing that you can sprinkle. Hopefully we sprinkle it on any other kind of sex that you decide that you might want to have. So, you know, even as, yeah, like coming <laughs> to terms with like being able to communicate. So what we've been discussing for the better part of 50 minutes here is all of what's available conceptually, how to meet someone in general, how to lean into it maybe a little bit more, how to surrender into it a little bit more. Or even for the first time, so I am. I am curious, and I know that I have people who are going to be listening to this who are practicing in some way, shape, or form, and they're saying thank you for the reminders internally. Thank you for all these reminders. Or I didn't have that little nugget. I try and tell my clients, and I try and tell my listeners to listen for the one little nugget that you take. Mm-hmm. It's like the little golden piece that you take. That one little, maybe it's a line, a phrase, or something, and then you take that, and then that makes all the difference. You know, people.
0: I, I work
1: with either my coach or my therapist and I get on and I'm looking for the one little tiny thing. We're talking for an hour. I'm not going to remember the whole hour's worth of stuff that we communicated on. There's going to be one little thing that I'm looking for. And so I'm sure that people who are practicing, they've, there's plenty here that they could take away as the golden nugget. And there's probably some people who are feeling it out. They're still not quite sure, but they're willing and then there's some that this might be their introduction into some of this type of thinking. And uh, mm. I consider what we do for a lot of people being the bridge, you know, mm. like we're very much a bridge to what you're talking about as the normal. And then I bridge mm. them over into here's their smorgasbord. Of, of what's available and then should you want to go even deeper into DS here's my friend Orpheus. <laughs> if you want to go <laughs> into tantra here's my friend Davy. You know and I have like these different people that I'm like and they bridge you into like the promised lands, the various promised lands. But I'm just going to get you to like Grand Central Station.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like the concept. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So and I'm happy there. I really like that place there and I really love leveraging my resources and my references, where it's like these people have made their life's work going much deeper in these other subject matters. But anyway, what I'm really getting to and maybe my, my last couple of questions for you is how can people take some of the things that they've been hearing in this conversation that we've been having? What are ways that they can, let's just start with the people who are maybe brand new slash just starting to play with. What are some, What's some advice that you would give them let's say brand new or just more or less starting their journeys into navigating kink or playing with power for the first time DS for the first time.
0: First, I would say, remember it's play. We call it play for a reason because play is the most academic, you know, educational form of experiential narrative that human beings know. We all do it. Every animal on the planet plays, you know I mean? And because, Play has a couple of different things. One, it has imagination. Two, it has connection. But three, there's an agreement for safety. Think about it. We all have the timeout, safe base, right? And we all know it and we all agree to it. For some reason, we don't do that as we get older. We think that we don't need those safe bases, those safe gestures, those safe words so take time to create a safe word right it's a really simple thing to do sit down with your partner say hey what is your safe word they'll say my safe word is something simple like red and you say when you say red what would you like for me to do right you want them to tell you how to take care of them in trigger in conflict in stress and then you know do something light like hold their hand and give it a little squeeze and then let them say red and show them that you're capable of demonstrating that you're capable of taking care of them. Really simple. It sounds like it's a pain in the butt and it's an arbitrary thing and it's not sexy. Some people who have never heard their voice say no, for some people who have always had their trust violated, for some people that in of itself is a scene. I've had several clients who said, that was enough. I need to stop now because I have never had anyone respect a boundary in my life. That to me is a powerful tool for connection, right? Just to know that you can be heard, right? Also too, I, I like to support this with a, a Winnie the Pooh reference, Right. Because I love children's stories, right? And there's a part in Winnie the Pooh where Piglet goes, hey, Pooh. Pooh goes, yes, Piglet. He said, nothing, I just want to know that I exist, right? Sometimes people just want to know that they matter to you, that you hear them, that you see them. And SafeWord is a great opportunity to experience that, right? The other thing that I would say is, have fun with it. Take you If this is your first time, get a glass of wine or whatever beverage that you love, clear your schedule, turn off your phones, take a piece of paper and write some of the things that you would love to do. Some things that just feel good. And if you don't know the technical term or the name, just write a simple description, right? Tear them all up into a bowl, mix them up. Pull out three each and have a discussion about it. Just find if you have some overlap in everything that you love to do together. You say, yeah, I could do that. And I could do, it. maybe it's just one thing that you both agree on play with that. Right. You don't have to do it all. And then when you get ready, come back to the bowl, come back to it that night, come back to it the next day, come back to it the next week. Right. But know that there's a thing of desire just sitting there waiting for you to explore and to experience that has both your energies, both your inputs, both your feelings and come to it with no judgment, no question about how you like that. Did you do that with someone else? Right. Just make this about this moment of exploration and journeying together. I think if you can get to that space, and you find it fun and interesting and get you open. I think you'll be, you know, you'll start your journey in a way that's opening to other opportunities later on. And you can start building trust in a way that feels good.
1: Yeah. And it, it feels so much more human connection oriented and partner to partner connection oriented because I really think some people see all this stuff and see what the opportunities of the options are and they get kind of bogged down by the where do I begin and and what do I do? Like, what do I do with my hands? What items mm-hmm. do I need? They're so focused on the material, you know, instead mm-hmm. of this is about play, like you said, and human mm-hmm. connection and having an experience with someone that you care about. And maybe you have cared about them and for them for five, 10, 15 plus years, or maybe you've cared about them for five hours. It doesn't really matter. You know, like you can Mm -hmm. do these kinds of things and have these kinds of experiences with anyone that you really truly care about. And varying degrees can be lots of different types of relationships too.
0: So Definitely. mm. Definitely. It is a wonderful thing to go on the exploration. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I I get a little jealous because it's like, there's not a lot of new journeys for me. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of new journeys, but sometimes, you know, you find a, a little hook and it takes you down a little path, takes you down a new, into a whole new place. And that's what we're all looking for is just to be able to journey, you know, and enjoy the process. You know, it doesn't have to lead to giant climax or orgasm or stuff. We all know how to do that. Yeah. You, know, you know how to pleasure yourself or pleasure others. You can do that. But the, really enjoy the process. Feel into the moment, right? And really embrace your partner's desire. All desire comes from a place to be, a need to feel whole and complete, right? Really, it just, you know if you feel hungry, there's a hole in your stomach, you want to fill the hole. You know, if, if you feel thirsty, your, your body's a barren wasteland. It's waiting for water to feel nourished and natural, right? We feel the same thing around our psychosexuality. There's something missing that I need. And it's not always orgasmic, right? Sometimes it's contextual, not sexual. So it's really important that we take our time to step into a place of true openness and self-expression right? And start feeding those needs that we've been suppressing for so long.
1: Yes, please. Exactly, <laughs> what, exactly what Orpheus says, go do those things.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: feed feed your needs. Uh, wow. So, you know, I had certainly more questions on my list to go deeper into the, you know, masculine feminine dynamics. And I loved, I like, I told a part of a story and you touched on the archetypes and then there was more about, you know, submission being a lifestyle choice and all that. There was so much more that, that I still have sitting here that I'm excited to learn from you. And the good news is that while this show is rounding out, cause we've been out talking for just over an hour, the good news is that while this gets to be enough for us for now, you have this as your life's work. And so Should I or any of my audience members want to learn more about the things that I just teased and I'm not going to give to you, you know, delayed gratification, you'll have to find Orpheus on social media or maybe catch him at one of his workshops or classes where you can get maybe a little bit more on some of the subjects I kind of teased there. So where can people get more of your work?
0: Well, thank you. You can go to OrpheusBlack.com. That's O-R-P-H-E-U-S. B L A C K dot com and really look up it. I do personal coaching. I do group classes. We do immersions where we, you know, bring couples and individuals out to have kinky experiences and we facilitate the educational parts. We do shows and we do live performances. We do pretty much everything, but we do have a specific class coming up called the energetics of kink. And we're really going to explore deep and meaningful connection through spanking, through tying, through flogging, right, through meaningful connection. And if your listeners want to uh, be a part of that, we'll give them a discount if they use sex chick, S-E-X-C-H-I-C-K, and we'll give them $20 off the class. And they'll be virtual and in person.
1: Great. Okay. And I like that maybe you came up with some of that on the spot. So I'll get the links and I'll get whether it's sex chick or that sex chick or something as a discount code. I'll be so happy to put all that stuff in the show notes and to also email that out whenever the show comes out too, so that people can find their way to you. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Now, what are some of the just general kinky kind of topics that you dig into, but you got them. You said them a little bit. there, Like spanking and fogging and different energetics of kink and all that. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Love, love, love. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom, your journey with all of the listeners today. It was really lovely getting to know you and hearing your perspectives and the way that you share them so openly and vulnerably with the world. Thank you for the work that you do, Mr. Orpheus.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all
0: next week.